Do you want some good news? Well, I got some for you. Steven and Annalisa Riley are back and better than ever. They're back after we sent them to Erbil, Iraq three years ago, back to have a baby and to spend some time with us. If you missed Steven's presentations on Sunday, January 28th, uh, this last Sunday morning and evening, you really missed out. I'm sorry, but they were so encouraging. The pictures were fantastic. Stephen did a great job. Annalisa shared ways that we can be praying for them on Sunday night. Uh, so good reasons to come out for um, these global worker updates. Uh, but uh, we trust that if you were there, that you were encouraged. But the good news is, even if you did miss those, we have this conversation for about an hour. So yes, we're doing another double feature with Stephen and Annalisa uh, Three years later, we did a double feature back before we sent them out to get to know them and then hear about what they were planning on doing. And now we get to hear what they really have been doing. <laughs> so I know you'll be encouraged as they share some stories and we'll break this up into two episodes. So it's easier to uh, bite off. Uh, hope you are encouraged by what God is doing through local churches around the world. Stephen and Annalisa Riley are back in the Disciple Henson studio. We did a two-part episode with you guys back in 2021. I meant to look up what uh, number of episodes those are, but we'll link to those in the show notes. Um, you guys have been serving in Erbil, Iraq for three years. That's right. You made a three-year commitment. So are you home for good? Yeah, this is it. We're here. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, are, we are pressing on. So do you guys want to introduce yourselves to the listeners real quick? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I'm Stephen Riley. Uh, I'm, I was born and raised in southern Indiana, um, came to faith in my 20s, and I married my wife, Annalisa. How old were you when you got married? 24. Yeah. And we're, we're coming up on our 10-year anniversary yeah. in like one or two days. I think one of the, yeah. The fe February 1st. <laughs> so whenever this episode comes out, I'm guessing we will have already celebrated 10 years. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank Are you. you guys doing anything special? Big one uh, We have a fil uh, ultrasound. Yeah, it's yeah. really special. Actually. So you're having a baby for your 10-year <laughs> yeah. anniversary. It's <laughs> a good way to celebrate. I'm sure we'll find some amazing Portland food for dinner. There's no... Yeah. yeah. yeah there's been a few changes. Some of our favorite restaurants have, have gone away. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. been sad. That's what happens when you guys leave. Our city falls apart. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Annalisa, do you want to yeah. introduce yourself? Uh, Annalisa, and I grew up east of San Diego, so born and raised there, um, believing parents. Dan, you've met my father um, yes. and mother. Big fans. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big fan, and they're also, <laughs> I guess, they're big fans of the show, right? Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Um, and yeah, I moved to China in 2012 and met Steven there and um, did, yeah, fell in love at some point, <laughs> and we came back and got married 10 years ago, so... Yeah, now we are on our third child. <laughs> so, they're yeah, marriage is going well. Yeah, so, this episode is in part brought to you by Trisha Sweeney, yeah. who's running around in the gym with the kiddos. Yes. That's right. And uh, you guys were members here at Henson. Give us the time frame. Yeah, so we came here in 2016 and started attending in the fall mm -hmm. and then became members January 25th of 2017. 
And then our, our son was born one month and one day later. Wow, look at that specificity. And yet you couldn't identify if your anniversary is tomorrow or the next yeah. day. <laughs> I was going to say, I think it was January 22nd. Uh, well, but, also, yeah. I've, been, I've been on phone calls this morning with folks in Iraq, and like it's already almost tomorrow there. So, you know, and, you you're, know. and you're two yeah. cups of coffee deep. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I've yeah. got the East Side jitters. So, oh, my goodness. So, and what brings you guys back to the States? Is This isn't your first time back in three years. Our second. We came back a year and a half ago uh, just for a, kind of a shorter summer visit. We did actually five weeks in no, five different no, four, states. Four weeks. Four weeks, five different states. Yeah. So we did a kind of a short little visit to visit family and of the church. Yeah. Um, and this, the, the reason we're coming actually this winter is to have the baby, which is due in a little bit less than three weeks. Yeah, little girl uh, who currently doesn't actually have a finalized name. I know. Um, but yeah. we've got a little bit of time to figure that out. Yes, you do. Um, how's the family doing? I think the family's doing really well. Um, the Lord's been kind to bring other families and supports around us. And we've been able to, in the two years we've been, or three years we've been there, the last two years, we've helped to start a school with some friends. And Hive uh, Christian Academy. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have to ask a question at this point. I was telling oh, yeah. Ashley. Oh, okay. So you you were teaching, you were reading the kids, Annalisa, as your kindergartner teacher? Kindergarten? I am the kindergarten teacher, okay. yeah. Yep, and, <laughs> and you uh, were um, teaching them about owls or something? So we do a five in a row curriculum and every, we have a book of the week. And they're actually, they're classics. Homeschool moms are pretty familiar with this curriculum. But we read Owl Moon. Um, and... Yeah, we and somehow you got an owl into the classroom. So I I did a little bit of like traveling in this city. I I knew a cafe with a girl who had an owl. And so I talked to her. How does that come up in conversation? Like, do you just have any pets? Well, I had just spent some time texting her and just I, I set up a time for her to come visit the school uh-huh. and she's not a believer her husband's not a believer they're both from syria it was a really good connection oh, she's, from she's from baghdad yeah or that's what it was yeah, yeah, yeah. um but they it was it's just an opportunity for me to not only connect with locals and show them what it's and we actually like do this with other things um our extracurriculars this year we had five local artisans come teach the kids on five different weeks their craft wow and so we try to kind of engage with locals through our school but in kind of our terms so uh like our macrame teacher was a Muslim and, um, you know, she got to come in and sit in for our teaching part and, uh, be there to work with our kids. And she came to the Christmas program. Mm-hmm, yeah. We, the kids put on a, a very clear gospel presentation. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I love how the school can change not only the children's hearts, but the locals hearts. And I, I've definitely, I think our family also has flourished because of this kind of outlet, um, both creatively and educationally. Yeah, agreed. Uh, yeah, for me at least, and the kids, because they both attend. Yeah. <laughs> so, we all three attend. Stephen does the things. <laughs> I I had just these visions, Annalisa, of you, like, 
taking you know your bow and arrow and and going out into the forest <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. of Erbil and uh, taking out an owl just or winging it so you could bring it in and bagging it and bringing oh it into the goodness. classroom when I saw that picture. That's, well, that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually, but that's a that's yeah. an even better story. Maybe not as exciting, but yeah, um, wonderful to hear about how you guys continue to build relationships just as you you guys did when you were here in the neighborhood. Mm. Um, we we talked in the previous episodes three years ago about, you know, kind of what led to you guys uh, getting to Iraq. Um, how are, just remind us, though, how are you able to be there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So back in 2016, uh, two pastors, uh, one former pastor, one current pastor, Max Stiles and David Lawrence were able to visit. And by 2017 had uh, through kind of these providential meetings with local government officials set up an NGO its express purpose was providing human and material resources to local churches and NGOs. And so through that, we were able to get visas for a number of people outside uh, to become uh, pastors, to come and serve as pastors there. And then we were also able to uh, recognize men who are already serving as pastors in the church. And so um, that was kind of the first big project was helping to I would say vitalize uh, the Erbil Baptist Church, um, and uh, and and so that NGO is called the Mustard Seed Foundation, and that's where I spend most of of my time. We like to think of the Mustard Seed Foundation as kind of like an integrated auxiliary, okay, of the church, <laughs> okay, um, and so. Uh, instead of doing what the integrated auxiliary does here, uh, which is to make coffee, uh, we really focus on providing those resources to local churches that we're trying to help think through uh, how to have healthy, biblically ordered churches. Um, and then in, in recent days, uh, that's expanded to things like we just talked about with the school, uh, and then also thinking through how to love our neighbors well uh, in difficult places like the uh, internally internally uh displaced people groups uh in the in the camps outside of the city and so um we're, we're currently working on projects out there with the families of uh victims of isis as well as a large number of widows and orphans and family members uh, of former isis fighters so let me get that straight you talked about this the other night oh, and if if people are listening and they missed sunday morning or sunday evening when you guys shared uh, friends, sorry, you really missed out. Uh, great pictures. Iris leaned over to me at one point and asked if uh, if you guys were photographers, and uh, I just said yes. <laughs> or the may, iPhones I, are yes. the photographers. Yeah, uh, Annalisa, you have been in those camps to teach. Uh, so you don't only teach at the Hive Christian Academy, but you've been a few times. There is at least pictures of you teaching some of the the orphans there. I, so I don't engage much with the camp ministry, especially currently as it is. Sure. Um, it would be a lot. We have MSF Mustard Seed Foundation has hired on a camp manager um, and staff that's out there. So mm -hmm. I, you know, we are going to start a family program. Lana and I had some brainstorming um, our one of our workers and the project, the project, the project, and we spent a lot of time talking about what we're going to do for those family pro or children's programs. Mm -hmm. So I will be engaged, but. Um, not probably as much as someone might assume. I just wondered what it would what it was like. I mean, here you have uh, widows and orphans because of ISIS, 
and then also the the spouses of uh, former ISIS fighters all jammed together. How many are in the camps right now? Yeah, between the two camps, there are about eight thousand people out there at the moment, and um, you know, and it's fascinating too because it's not just widows and orphans and you know extended family members, but it's also you know some people who are now in their twenties that were radicalized in their youth by yeah. ISIS. Wow, and, and so. Uh, and, and now as camps are closing down elsewhere in the country, there are people who are coming from the persecuted communities like the Yazidis, and they're now um, making their homes in, in these camps alongside their the family of their persecutors. And so it's just a really uh, interesting moment in the camps. And people are coming to faith. And you, you guys are, I mean, this is a very small piece of like what the Mustard Seed Foundation <laughs> mm-hmm. does and what your work is, Stephen, but mm-hmm. just I- encouraging to hear how in this really difficult uh, situation, uh, how the Lord is at work. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so there, when we took the uh, project over from another ministry um, back uh, in the summer of 2023, we were aware of a number of people who had been identified as believers. And so we were able to immediately start working with them on um, some very basic things like discipleship, just, conversations, but then also helping to teach read in Arabic so that they themselves could read uh, the scriptures. Mm. Um, And then having um, more of what we call family cohesion meetings, which is essentially where we just are bringing people in from very uh, uh, difficult situations to think about how how do we live together in peace in difficult circumstances. And of course, we're trying to guide them uh, through biblical principles of um of peace and uh but it's really beautiful to see things like uh, a father who's never hugged his daughter hug his daughter for the first time and everyone mm. in the room is just uh yeah speechless and then and then for them to come and say hey actually this is really helping us and we want to study more and then we were able to say at that point well where we're getting this material is not something we created um we're, and we're able to then take them to the scriptures and, mm. and follow up meetings. Wow. Tell us, um, actually one of my questions is after, has it been what you guys expected? How is life in Erbil? You gave us a little taste of it through the pictures and we heard from you guys on Sunday, but is, you know, you probably never anticipated being in, for example, a camp, you know, in these uh, camps, mm-hmm. um, with that kind of ministry. And it just felt like when you, particularly when you presented on Sunday night, Stephen, that there is just so much work to be done. Mm-hmm. It, does it feel like often that you're just drowning uh, in all the options of what, how you could minister in this place? Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think, sorry, my quick answer to that is we try to keep the main thing, the main thing, because there is no end to what you can do. Yeah. And I think for us, our goals as a family um, are to primarily support and attend church well. And if we can't do that, we're not going to, you know, we, we need to pull back. I, maybe that's just, and Stephen, obviously his job, um, it's more dynamic, but I mean, sorry. I just so Orbeal Baptist Church is the main thing, essentially. Yeah. That's, that's the, and why is that the main thing? Because some people might be confused. They're like, oh, there's so many gospel opportunities outside is, the four yeah. walls of the church. Why mm-hmm. aren't you guys engaged outside the four walls of the church? You'd be surprised. It's actually inside <laughs> the church. Okay. A lot. You know, it's, um, 
Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. So I think I think what Annalise is getting at is like when you when you land in Erbil, um, I looked at the six point outline that I gave Henson almost three years. Actually, it was three years ago. Uh, these are the six things we're going to do, and I'm amazed to see that like like we're basically doing the things we set out to do. But mm. now I've just like I, it has more texture, mm-hmm. and there's a there's a calendar that goes along with that that I understand their mm. faces and people mm. that we're working with. Mm. Um, and so it's really fascinating, but I think what Annalisa is getting at is there is no end to the good work that could be done. And the reality is, is that, you know, we're a small team and the needs are, are greater than what we can meet. Um, and oftentimes with our, you know, kind of American activist mindsets, we can come in with a lot of good intentions and we can end up doing a lot of harm as we try to help our neighbors. And so what we recognize though, is that, uh, you know, Henson sent us out to be church planters. And so first and foremost, we see ourselves as assisting the work of the ministry of the local church. And because we believe that that actually is the primary means that God uses both to evangelize our non-believing neighbors, as well as to give tools for long-term flourishing for the individuals and families that we come into contact with. And so, you know, the, the, the local church is the means by which it is the it's the vessel i think michael used to tell me this this is uh uh, i think a quote from one of the puritans but you know it's the vessel that holds the gospel and whenever you change or remove the church from your strategy for missions then you you essentially are distorting the gospel and so uh, for us, if we're if we're not about the church, then I think we have no business being there long term in missions, um, and um, and that's something that we we freely share with all of those who want to come as they're thinking long term and asking how can we uh, be about the mission of justice in the region, but it's also the types of things that we're trying to share with those that live in the camps that ultimately what you guys need is a community of of people who believe in the gospel. Stephen, that all sounds well and good, Hmm. but you guys have experienced it. You've tasted it. And so we want to hear a little bit, um, some stories from you guys that you shared, uh, changing the name slightly uh, for their protection. But before we get to stories, tell us a little bit more about just the history and culture culture of Erbil and then about Erbil Baptist Church. Just just to paint a picture for us. If uh, what, what does it look like? Annalisa, you want to start us off? Yeah. Well, okay. So when we say we are living in Kurdistan, um, sometimes it's confusing because uh, it's a region, less of a state or country, um, <clears throat> although they would like to be that. And it's a culture group. Um, it's its own culture with many cultures in it. So Kurdish pe- the Kurdish people have um, ethnic groups as well. Um, so the city which, like where we live, Erbil, is the most populated city and it's the capital of this region. So, and I mean, people, Kurdistan is a little bit in Iran, a little bit in Iraq, a little bit in Turkey, and a little bit in Syria. So it's a region, although we live uh, under both governments, which is the Iraq and the Kurdish government. Um, What do you have more uh, interaction with? What government? The Kurdish government. Okay. Yeah, because it's a semi-autonomous region. Um, 
and Stephen does all of that. So actually he can answer this question, yeah. these questions better. Well, yeah. no, you were painting a great picture. So, so that's the, the context, Annalisa. Um, I mean, one thing I would say though, is our city particularly is very diverse and you can see that played out in our church pews, like diverse in which way, like skin culturally. color, mm -hmm. culturally, there's okay. many people coming from all over the region and treating it as a sanctuary city. Um, and for many of these people, a work opportunity in the Middle East. Um, so our church, we have Kurds, local Kurds, but we also have local Iraqis. Okay. So those are the major local groups. Well, and then we also have people like, like collectively the church has over 20 different nations represented. And so there's a mm -hmm. lot of language groups and then yeah, different ethnic. But we all share English because <laughs> our city is actually, because it's so diverse, often the language that especially the younger people, especially people in business. And as the world has become globalized, we all share English. So in the markets, in church, in the school, mm. you guys are speaking in English most of the time. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. And, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I, I meet with local fathers, even, you know, young guys that work in the government, and uh, they'll talk about how their, their kids uh, – don't really speak Kurdish. Uh, yeah, it's and and, and so the parents are now retroactively trying to learn English in order to communicate with their children. Wow! And so it's a it's yeah it's an interesting moment, and I think it probably is. Uh, yeah, it's presenting signs that as we talk with our friends who are serving elsewhere around the globe, are, are trends of this of this kind of moment in in mission history. Hmm. So, um, if that's kind of a little bit of a taste of the, of the context that you guys find yourself in, how are Christians, how are Westerners, um, received, how have you guys been received and, and then start transition tell us a little bit about Erbil Baptist church. Yeah. <clears throat> well, uh, as a family, we've been received very warmly mm. um, by the culture but yeah or the cultures plural <laughs> yeah uh, certainly within the church okay. uh, we've, we've had a, a very warm welcome mm. uh, the church has figured out a way to you know that our, our members take the church covenant very seriously uh, and they take membership very seriously um, and so um, when we when we think about our, our life there long term uh, there's there's so much accountability and love that's just built into the members of the church. When we think about the the, the city more broadly, um, you know, there's we. I mean, look, we lived in China before this, and and we definitely know what it means to be an outside country person, <laughs> and um, and and so there are similar terms in in China and Kurdistan that would would kind of create the same image of you know, hey, you're you're a foreigner. And, and, you know, to a degree that that will never go away. Um, but what we are finding is that our neighbors are very happy to um, engage with us. They they want to learn from us. They, they also want to teach us a lot. And um, and yet in that there is this interesting element with the locals where um, everyone wants to have you over and have you try their mom's dolma and let you try on their, is the dolma good it's oh it's great yeah yeah it's it's great they don't have a super diverse diet though so it's kind of always yeah it's always dolma. Dolma. Okay. <laughs> okay. But, but so so we try the dolma and then we you know we play dress up with jilly curdies and take photos and then we have tea and 
And it's kind of like you're always just like coming in and there's you always get the sense that there's this back room or uh, another part of the house that you don't really ever that, that, that it stays pretty guarded because there's anti-american paraphernalia and uh, pictures no. of americans with arrows through their foreheads because of the invasion 20 years ago no no actually kurds very much love americans because um as one associated press reporter put it you know 20 years later this was an article released recently 20 years later the kurds remain the only winners of the iraq invasion and i think that's exactly right okay the kurds made out very well but i'm more just talking about with there's this you know, there's the Kurds are, are people like us and they have hard family things. They have they have difficult matters that, frankly, no one's ever gotten to work through. And so there's just multi-generational um, uh, evil and sin that's never been dealt with. And that that just kind of remains hidden. And um, and so, yeah, that's that's more as we think about long term. Uh, living that's those are the types of conversations that i think it's just going to take years to break through some of those barriers wow but you have you have some kurds who have joined mm-hmm. your church mm-hmm. who have come to faith mm-hmm. uh tell us about what that's like to do church with uh a bunch of different people from different ethnic groups and nations uh mm-hmm. what you know what is different about church in Erbil than say like here at Henson like give give us a picture of what it would be like well one thing i'll add i our church has small groups you know kind of a <clears throat> bible study groups that are happening each week but they tend to be language specific in our mm-hmm. context we have six small groups right now and on wednesday night we have a couple going but one is the kurd uh, Kurdish home group that has transitioned to be a little bit more um, church functioning. <laughs> they have a message and they actually they meet in the church building. I do once a month, maybe childcare for that. So then I'm usually there showing up and there's many Kurds attending that don't necessarily um, have not joined membership, but they're being preached to in Kurdish. And we have a faithful, this is one thing that's unique is our elders really lead the diverse ministry to the diverse people groups we have, because we have um, a Kurdish speaking pastor, we have Urdu speaking, we have um, an Indian, well, we have a somewhat in Filipino as well, diverse elder base that can help kind of guide some of that um, language specific groups. Um, And so we meet, they'll have a lot more like intense Bible study sessions in a group where they do have more of a language specific, they can, they can deal with some of those deeper issues, language specific. Our small group shares primarily um, our Filipino and Indian brothers and sisters but we, because of that, we do engage in English. Well, that's right. And then, and then, the, I mean, that's the reality is that even if you were to look at all the locals and say, hey, uh, if we're going to plant a language specific Kurdish church, maybe half of the Kurds are going to choose actually to remain with the English fellowship. Um, because the reality is that their, their media uh, is all in English. Their, their university education was in large part in English. Um, a lot of their social media interactions is in English. And so they're just as comfortable in English as they are with their local language. And so, um, and so that, yeah, that creates kind of a, a, a unique 
thing as well because we uh one of the members of henson recently asked me like well if you're if you're the goal is to plant language specific like kurdish or arabic uh, churches like what about will that affect the diversity of the the body mm-hmm. it's a great question mm-hmm. and it's kind of one of those things where you know it's it's the same as whenever henson you know chooses to plant a church in the north side of portland like does that mean all the people in the north side now have to go to that new church plant and it's just it's a case-by-case individual conversation mm, that's helpful um we, i want to hear some stories about what the lord is doing at Erbil baptist church but before we get to that uh steven when you first came to henson uh what did you think of the singing the music here compared to what you had had experienced in other churches oceans there was no oceans like what <laughs> uh, what how did i describe, i think on sunday morning i described it as landing on another planet um, <laughs> that's probably pretty appropriate annalise and i were coming from very different church like more charismatic so, yeah, yeah yeah that's right that's my god dancing <clears throat> flags flags <laughs> they're flags but now you lead you help lead your congregation there in erbil in singing yeah um and are, are are you doing it? Are you doing a lot of oceans? Uh, no, uh, we. So it's interesting because you know, again, think of it like a lot of people are coming. English is their second, third, fourth, fifth language, and so as we think through the songs that we sing, I do. I have brought some hymns in, and you know, frankly, we've had to evaluate that as we've been singing it. We're always getting input from the members of like, hey, do you understand the words we sang today? Um, and so, and that's not always the case. So, um, we do need to, we have to strike a healthy balance. Uh, we're, you know, we're not singing things written by heretics just because they're easy. To oh, say. that's encouraging yeah, to hear. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, but we're also, you know, needing to think through. So like whenever I introduce, uh, some of the hymns that we sing here, oftentimes I go through with one of the elders and we change some these and thou's or, um, you know, we, we talked about, will you pursue, uh, thou warm to death and, uh, or thy warm to death. And, uh, and so we, uh, we, we've had to change that line to, you know, will you pursue me to my death? Uh, just to, you know, it, it, mm. it, it, some, some of those uh, lyrics are just harder for people. Uh, and we want people to sing songs that they can, uh, sing with understanding, um, that they can use to, uh, as an as an act of praise and worship to God, but also as an act of encouragement to their brothers and sisters around them. Has it been challenging leading the singing with so many different cultures and uh, language groups represented right in front of you in, in the church? Is it? I mean, that sounds kind of difficult. Yeah, you can't please everybody. That's right. Yeah, you, you and can't, that's not the goal. And that's not the goal. Um, I mean, guys, I think Stephen does a great job. He has a co-laborer in this though andre who's very he's been there a little bit longer than us and he kind of has um helped also lay some of those ground works and you kind of have picked up some of that work i think mm-hmm. yeah yeah i so it is one of those things that um i've kicked back to the elders a couple of times like hey should we sing this song or like where do we draw the lines on what we're going to sing um and then having andre there to just help kind of think through song by song also having um, uh, some of the elders that are uh, connected more with the local community and thinking through like language specific things. And, um, you know, I, I would say it's a, it's a team effort. Um, and I think that long term, though, we, you know, we also want to be creating music. 
I was going to say, plug, Stephen has a YouTube channel. I think I have like 46 <laughs> subscribers now. Yeah. 46? I, I think so. And yeah. they're, wow. I think mostly just church members, but yeah, he's written great. a few songs with Andre. So. Yeah. yeah. So we're, we're, we're also trying to create music that's easy for the congregation to sing. The link to your YouTube channel will be in the show notes. <laughs> oh, okay. Most definitely. But if things are going difficult in like singing, do you just uh, whip out the banjo and start leading the congregation and I'll fly away? You know, no. Uh, it, here's, the, here's the nice thing. Our church loves to sing. Uh, yeah. Anyone who's visited will tell mm. you our church loves to sing. Mm. So, um, you know, we... Yeah, it was funny. We had some brothers visit from Birmingham, and not Birmingham in the U.S., but in the in the U.K. And they said, "How do you do this? How do you get the people to sing?" And it's like, dude, it it the, the teach people them to love Jesus. Love, yeah, yeah. They, they love the Lord and yeah. they sing about that. I mean, and, they. I mean, we have like loud people people that sing. It doesn't matter if they have an accent. That's great. Yeah, it's part of it, I think, it's just leading me. Even sing on on key. People still sing. Yeah, no, it's, it's that's me. Shh. But no, yeah, it's it's great. I think we've been gifted a body that loves to sing. So I think it's fun or easier to lead people who love that. Yeah. And at that that's like a caught thing. People can sure. oh, everybody's singing. Yeah. I just engage and do that. I think there's some of that. I mean, if someone in, in Hinson, if like half the people all of a sudden started raising their hands, I think <laughs> it would be surprising. Hey, but people were clapping this I, Sunday. I... Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys see very many armpits during the singing at Henson? <laughs> that's how we indicate if <laughs> spirits at work. No, no but, but we did see claps. And there was, I, I, I told Neil, man, there's a, there's just a joyful noise coming from the platform these days at Henson. And, uh, and I was really encouraged to sing with the church here. 